Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, The Pistons Pulse, co-hosted by me, Bryce Simon of Motor City Hoops, a former D1 hooper and current teacher, husband, and father of three amazing kids. And I'm Amari Sanko for the second Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. And we're a little bit late tonight, but we got some extra Pistons basketball, Amari. Five minutes late on the start. We got five extra minutes of Pistons preseason hoops. Of course, we're always blessed to be joined by our producer, Wes Davenport. Just in spirit tonight, he's not with us. He's got some other things going on, but obviously he helped with the outline holds it down for us regardless of whether he's here live or not but omari i heard we have another shout out of a fan who ran you down in the arena tonight yeah it's funny i get recognized from the pod like way more than i do from anything i've written you know which i think says a lot about the uh current media climate but beyond that uh yeah just big shout out to andrew smith i saw him in the conquest he said he's a big fan of myself and also bryce and i told him that Bryce makes the show very easy to do because Bryce is mad. And thank you for calling me out. If you see me or if you see Bryce anywhere, like, please say something to us because we love meeting people who listen to the show. So it kind of closes the gap. Like, we just stand in, sit in front of our laptops and we don't see people, right? We see the number on, on the screen, but we don't see actual people. So feel free to shout us out if you see us anywhere. Yeah, uh, it's really cool. I always get jealous when you talk about it. This is a couple times now in the last two weeks where you've had a story. And that's what I love about going to the Pistons games, Amari, is I feel like the last four or five games I've went to, somebody's been like, hey, Bryce, the Pistons pull. So I'm a huge fan. And it it is. It's just really cool whenever you run into people that are fans of the podcast. And like you said, I think it just speaks to how we've grown this thing. 91 episodes, Amari, like we talked about last episode, fast tracking to episode 100. And the nice thing is we have have nine months roughly of actual basketball games to talk about starting with this episode the first preseason game of the year for the Pistons a 126-130 overtime loss to the Suns and before we get into the game how about Devin Booker wearing a Miggy jersey for the whole second half he was at the Lions game before the Pistons game I feel like he's just trolling Pistons fans right now trying to get their hopes up Hey, you know, Grand Rapids native, so he's always going to show his love uh, for the Detroit teams whenever he's in town. Uh, he was at, I believe he was at the Lions game, and then I guess he just swapped jerseys and played, I think he only played like 13 to 14 minutes tonight, so he really didn't play a whole lot. But, uh, you know, obviously cool. I feel like he's one of a handful of players that Pistons fans are always like, I mean, could we get him one day? Like, is that possible? And Phoenix obviously is all in on this championship run, so may not ever happen, but cool to see him kind of show that Detroit pride today. Yeah, I was like, oh, he must not be playing whenever I saw that he was at the Lions game. And then all of a sudden the game started. He's in the starting lineup. And then I just thought it was kind of funny that he was wearing the Cabrera jersey on the sideline. First half, not great for the Pistons, Amari. They're down by 23 at one point. They get down by 26 in the third quarter. They're down by 14 with five minutes to go in the fourth. We'll get into all of this, just giving some of the stats right now. 15 to 21 field goals were assisted in the first half. 19 three-point attempts, 19 free throw attempts. 
end up 11 to 35 from three, 21 to 34 from the free throw line. Only six turnovers in the first half, Amari, 16 for the game. Before we get into some specific things, is there anything just overriding that you took from this first preseason game? Really just the poor defensive start and... Like, it's a weird preseason game, right? You have 10 players for the Pistons playing the first quarter, uh, 14 for the game, which you're probably not going to see too often during the season. Uh, like, you had two Exhibit 10 guys and then a, a, a two-way guy. You had Xavier Simpson, Stanley Uday, and uh, Jared Roden uh, finished out the fourth quarter and OT as the Pistons kind of made that late comeback, you know, which you're probably not going to see two Exhibit 10 guys and a two-way guy too much on the floor during the season unless it's a blowout, in which case it wasn't. So there's a lot of noise in this game, but I think if you could take one thing away, it's just that, uh, Phoenix started the game with a 14-2 run. Uh, Pistons trailed by 20 in the first quarter, uh, 17 at the end of that period. And then you're playing catch-up the rest of the way. And we saw this happen a lot of last season, too, where they just come out completely cold. And then you're playing catch-up the rest of the way. You may, you know, match their energy the rest of the way or even tie the game at some point. But it's just, you can't keep doing that. They trailed by, like, 26 at the end of the third quarter. Uh, so they outscored Phoenix by 20 points in the fourth really to close that gap, which, you know, there's a lot of guys on the floor who probably won't play as much. So again, there's noise in that. But uh, they've just preached defense you know, throughout camp, uh, media day. Uh, I mean, you can just look at, at the roster and just how young they are, and you know that there's something that's probably not going to come to fruition quite this season. Like, they still have a lot of growth to do. But just to come out that code, I'm, I mean... I think that's the obvious point that they need to address uh, when they get back to work this week in practice. Yeah, and I mean, the Suns came out playing hot as well. And they're one of the best offensive teams in the NBA with that yeah. trio who was all playing in this game. Guys, we're seeing your comments, your questions, your overreactions or just reactions in general. We will try to get through those as we go throughout the episode. I just want to start here with some house cleaning things, Amari. No Boyan, no Livers, no Monty Morris. We know the liver stuff that came out a few days ago. Boyan was a little more recently. Monty Morris, during got hurt during the game with an ankle. Any updates you can give us on any of those guys? How serious any of that stuff is? Anything you know? No, I mean, there's you like using that updates like right after the game. So we'll just, you know, we'll find out in practice later on this week. Uh, yeah, during he missed the second half, obviously. And, uh, you know, we'll just have to see, uh, you know, what, what happens with these guys. I know Monty said before the game that just with some of the injury issues they have, you won't really be able to get a full sense for where this team is at, uh, just lineup-wise, combination-wise, since you have some key guys out. So, you know, we'll see if we get them back before the season tips off in Miami on the 25th. Uh, I think Boyan will be back by then. He just has a minor calf injury. He's going to be reevaluated later on this week. So, uh, just TBD on all of that. So, let's get into the starting lineup. Our guy, Doug McMiniman, brings it up. Why did Ivy not start? Don't read too much into it, but I hope that's not the norm. So, the starting lineup we did get tonight, Omari, was Cade, Burks, Asar, Stu, and Duran. So you and I debated this a few weeks ago. Having Burks in the starting lineup was not something either of us did or thought would happen. We do see Asar in there with Stu. What were kind of your thoughts and your vibes of Jay Nivey coming off the bench in the starting lineup we did get tonight? My read on it was, you know, like one you want to give Asar Thompson that opportunity. But then I think with him with the starting lineup, Bogey out. I think there's a good chance Bogey starts and he wasn't here tonight. So that opens up more space. Uh, I think it's just prioritizing spacing. Uh, you have Asar and um, Kate handling your, your ball handling. Of course, Asar can defend. And Ivy did shoot pretty well tonight. And he shot pretty well last season. But, you know, Burks is just like that knockdown catch and shoot guy. So I think just from a fit standpoint, it probably made more sense, uh, especially given that Asar and Duran are like the two non-shooters in that group, right? Although, you know, Asar did knock down that three to tie the game, so I got to give him some credit. But I think along with that, Monty did say he'll experiment during camp 
Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if Ivy comes off the bench to start the year. Uh, just to, I mean, he was the first person off the bench tonight. I checked in midway through the game. He did get a good amount of minutes with that first unit, you know, alongside Cade. And in the grand scheme, it, you know, probably didn't really, really matter. I guess it's, you know, deprioritized defense or deprioritized offense, you know, coming out with this team. And with Asai, you're obviously getting the defensive end of it. So that's where we're at now. Um, I'll be curious to see how, if, how, if and how they adjust when they're in Montreal later on this week. But yeah, Jaden Ivey coming off the bench was probably the only surprise, I guess, when you look at that starting five. Yeah, so just so everybody knows, and I'm sure you guys do, but Thursday, the Pistons are playing the Thunder in Montreal for a game up in Canada. Yeah, it was surprising. I'm interested to see if it's actually something that happens, Omari. And I don't know that I actually love it, but to me, it says, hey, we're trying to win. Like, I wonder if Monty looks at the roster and says, this actually helps us give the best chance to win games night in and night out. Now, I still don't know exactly how the second unit would go with that. If who's the three and who's the four, if you're playing Ivy and Morris off the bench, that's a pretty good duo off the bench, Omari. And maybe the spacing with Burks in the starting lineup. If you're playing Boyan off the bench with Ivy and Monte Morris, that's a really good trio there with whether it's Bagley or Wiseman. We'll talk about those two going head to head and who's going to get those minutes. I think Bagley won whatever round we're in. Bagley won that round tonight. But I just wonder if Monte is saying, hey, this is what actually helps us win games because Ivy gives us some juice off the bench. And he played well tonight. At the end of the day, that's what I saw was him playing well. So it was a surprise. I didn't think it was something we could see in the preseason. I'll be really interested to see what we see for the next few games, but I don't know that we'll actually know until opening night, right? We'll see how much Monty, uh, Monty Williams, that is, confirms lineups. Like some coaches play that close to the vest. Some coaches are just like, oh, yeah, so-and-so is going to start. And I do think Monty Williams has been pretty forthcoming about uh, just where his thinking is as far as that. You know, I would expect Cade, of course, Duran and Isaiah to stay in those roles. I'm curious to see if they get Monte Morris back later on this week, if that pushes Ivy back into the starting lineup because maybe they just wanted two bar to come off of the the bench. Uh, There's missing guys, right? So it's tough to parse through everything right now. But I'm curious about that. I'm curious about that because I, I don't hate the idea of Jaden Ivey just being like that first guard off the bench, spark plug, put the ball in his hands immediately and let, let him go to work. And uh, he, he came out hot tonight. I think he hit his first two threes, so clearly didn't affect his rhythm. Uh, so maybe there's something there. You know, The more we go into preseason, the more we'll find out. Yeah, I thought he looked really good. He had a really explosive play in the first quarter where he goes into a ball screen, snakes it, finishes with his left. I do think defensively, this is something we've talked about with Jaden. I know people really kind of get on us, Amari, because we crushed Jalen Duran for his defense and maybe not enough with Jay. I, I was a little bit frustrated with his defense tonight. I think his ball screen navigation has to get better, Amari. And there was some other things even in isolation where I do think in general, he's better in true isolation. But overall, I didn't think the perimeter guys navigated ball screens well in general. So I don't know that that was just a Jay Nivey thing. And then again, you're playing against a pretty high octane offense. I do just want to go back to the starters. Asar started on Booker. Stu started on Durant. So that's the matchups you got. And I believe Cade started on Bradley Bill. So those were the matchups you got to start the game. And then Wiseman and Jay Nivey were the first guys off the bench. James Wiseman getting the first crack at kind of the backup big. How did you think that played out tonight? Obviously, Bagley went bananas there in his minutes. What did you kind of see from those two guys? Yeah, I mean, I thought Wiseman looked pretty similar to how he looked in summer league where he's going to get buckets here and there. But, you know, maybe just the defensive focus you need from him isn't quite there. 
And you know, I'm curious to see what happens with with Durant if he does end up missing some time, because of course that would open up time for Wiseman and Bagley to both play and both compete for that spot. But I mean, Bagley just came in and I asked Monty about it after the game and he said Bagley changed the game. And what I thought was interesting is that, I mean, we know Bagley could score and he had a lot of key buckets tonight, including that late three. But on top of that, Monty also uh, complimented his defensive communication and he said he was calling out ball screens to help the guards. And I mean, there's no Booker, no Durant, no uh, Beal in the second half. So I would expect the defense to do a little bit better when, you know, the three superstars aren't playing. But along with that, it seems like the pace and energy of the game really did change with Bagley. He came out really, really aggressive. And uh, if he just has that defensive communication edge, even over some of the other bigs, I can really go a long way for him. So this is from Doug. Hi, guys. Bagley has been dismissed, but I still believe in what he can do. Will you guys please address his contributions? And then we also got one from Jabari Parker. So Bagley is definitely the backup big now, right? Wiseman screen game is bad right now, and it kills any opportunities to hit him as a role man or on a lob. So here's what I put into the notes, Omari. I think this was actually round two that goes to Marvin Bagley. I think this is going to go all the way up to opening night and probably throughout the season. Wiseman obviously has either won based off reputation or what Troy Weaver thinks about him or the organization because he got the minutes first tonight, right? So whether it's what he's been doing in practice and training camp leading up to this, whatever it was, Wiseman was winning coming into the game, this head-to-head battle. But yeah, man, Marvin Bagley looked really good tonight. I thought he had some real pop off the floor. He immediately comes in, catches a couple lobs. He, not only did he hit the trail three, Amari, and I've always thought Bagley's shot looked the best of all those bigs, just in purely how it looks. But he also had like a little push floater on the short roll. Defensively, I don't know that either one is better than the other one. I will say, I thought Wiseman actually rebounded the ball pretty well tonight. And then I, I don't know where that leaves us. Bagley, like you said, though, not playing against the better unit from the Suns. But man, he's sure impressed in the opportunity he got. Bagley absolutely was the better between the two tonight. Uh, I don't think anybody's going to win the job until opening night. I mean, unless Bagley continues to just do what he did tonight. Uh, I think that battle will continue to go back and forth. And I just think from an organiz- organizational standpoint, you have more pressing decisions to make with Wiseman where uh, he's going to hit restricted free agency next summer. So they need to figure out where he is and if he could be a contributor on this team. And, you know, obviously that will, would dictate the course they go with him over the summer. But, I mean, if Bagley can give you that, uh, like, more games than not, then he probably does have a role in this team because they need that scoring punch off the bench. And you know, again, like defense has never really been his forte, but if he can really communicate and show effort on that end of the floor, then that's only a bonus for the Pistons and that'll help him out a lot as well. So so we'll see. Uh, you know, I think just the way this team has talked about the value of competition, like you have between the bigs, have it with the guards. Uh, we saw a lot of Sasser and Killian tonight and uh, we probably should talk about Killian in segment two, but I just want to see if this pushes Wiseman, right? Like, he needs to just be a little bit more intuitive with some of the big man things you need to see from him on offense, whether it's rolling or just being in the right spots. Uh, Bagley really did a good job of making himself available to K and the guards, finishing some of those lobs. And after the game, 
Uh, they both kind of just talked about the chemistry they have there. So Bagley's got some things going into his favor, and it's really going to put the heat on on Wiseman to show what he, he can do. I think what you brought up earlier with the quote from Monty about his communication is huge because that's what you want your five-man to do is be able to communicate and really be the anchor. Neither of those guys are going to be huge rim deterrents. I don't think we're expecting that from either one. But if one is a little bit better of a communicator, letting those guards know, are we icing this? Are we over? Are we under? Are we switching? Whatever it's going to be, that might be the X factor for who ends up getting to play if the offense ends up being equal. Obviously, the offense wasn't equal tonight. I don't think we should be seeing a bunch of James Wiseman post-isolations. And just the numbers for everybody, Wiseman had 4.7 rebounds, three turnovers in 15 minutes. Bagley had 25.7 rebounds on 10 of 14, one of two from three, got to the free throw line five times, one turnover in 22 minutes. Again, with the caveat that he was playing against lesser competition than what Wiseman got. Before we move into some individual performances from other guys like Killeen Hayes, Cade Cunningham, etc., we didn't see the two big lineup tonight, Mari. And they could have played it because Boyan wasn't there. Livers wasn't there. We saw Joe Harris at the four minutes. I thought Joe Harris actually looked pretty good. He knocked down some shots. He makes rotations defensively. I think he can do what this team needs him to do. I don't know that you want him playing a ton at the four, but we did not see the two big lineup. Maybe it's because of who the Suns play, but Monty would have had every excuse to put those guys out there together tonight, and he didn't do it. And I don't know how much we will see the two big lineup. Justin Camp, he talked about the third big, you know, with uh, Isaiah and Jalen being in that starting front court. So, but I mean, I guess Isaiah's a big, so it's too big in that sense. But he pretty much played from the perimeter tonight. He did have a couple post looks, and I thought he did look good there. But beyond that, I think it's going to be a three big rotation. Then, uh, if, unless you're playing Cleveland, or you know, maybe uh, the Celtics are going with a Chris Stops uh, Horford front court, and you just need some extra size. There's probably not going to be a lot of reason to play Duran and Wiseman or Duran and, and Bagley, right? Especially since Isaiah Stewart is really the best defender of those four guys. So you probably want Isaiah out there in some capacity anyway. Let's talk about Cade Cunningham. 12 points, two rebounds, six assists on five of 15 from the field. Two of four from three, though, Amari. No free throw attempts, which I think is interesting. Two turnovers and 22 minutes of play. Before I get into some of my takeaways, what did you think about Cade Cunningham's performance tonight? Yeah, I mean, he started off cold and then he really started to cook I believe in that second quarter uh, where you see him kind of hit some of those mid-range shots. Uh, I think he got a couple of threes to fall. And it just looked like he got more comfortable. I talked to him after the game. He was just, you know, talking about this was his first time wearing the Pistons uniform and really having a game in like almost a year. I mean, since like last November. So it could have just been some rest he had to work off. Uh, Also, he didn't play at all in the fourth quarter. Uh, Most of his minutes were in the first half. So, you know, again, just, you know, preseason, like, you know, these guys are just putting, not being put in certain positions. It's more so just getting a look at the roster. But uh, once he did kind of shake off some of that rust, he looked the way he did, you know, when he was cooking toward the end of his rookie season. Uh, he did have a couple of reads I didn't like as much, uh, you know, kind of forced things here and there. And he didn't shoot that well in the third period either when the Pistons as a whole were struggling. So that's a lot of first preseason game weirdness. Uh, you know, I don't know how much of that should really count against him, given this has been so long since he's played in that environment. 
And the team as a whole, I think, looked pretty rusty to start. But uh, when he looked good, he looked good. And you do want to see that. I just want to address this real quick from Sal. I said it looked like whoever was guarding Stu would leave him and help guard Cade. We will talk about mm-hmm. Stewart a little bit more in depth. I also want to say that was happening with Asar Thompson as well. And trust me, guys, we are going to give Asar, I assume Amari will as well, a ton of love and credit for what he did. But there's a few plays I can pinpoint specifically where Asar's guy was helping off and they're going under screens on Asar and those things. Now, I know he hit the big one at the end of the game that was huge and that probably makes up for all of it. But yeah, there is some questions about spacing if Stu isn't knocking down shots and getting guys to respect him along with Duran, and then if Asar isn't either. The one thing I want to know on Kate Omari, I don't have any overwhelming takes. He missed seven mid-range shots short by my count. So I watched the game till about midway through the third. I had to go do something else. And then I restarted from the beginning. And so I kept track from the start. Like I said, he was 5 of 15, but a lot of misses. I like seeing the two catch-and-shoot threes he made, but I don't want to take too much away from him missing shots short in the mid-range because we know he's been good there. But that was a thing even pre-injury where he was missing short. I think it'll be fine. Maybe just didn't quite have his legs first game. But that was probably the biggest thing that I noticed with Kate. Yeah, and that's something to keep an eye on because even during his rookie season, we saw him just kind of go through those cold spells where he just couldn't get a shot to fall. And that still seems to be plaguing him a little bit now. So, you know, again, I think we'll learn a lot about this team on Thursday, how they respond with the game under their belt. And obviously, we'll be watching for Kate as well if he's able to shake off more of that rust and kind of capitalize on what we heard about him when he was in Vegas and just saw the momentum he had coming in if he kind of gets back to that. We're going to go to a short break. When we come back, Amari, you choose who we want to get into next. We can talk Jay Nivey, Asar, Stu, Duran, Killian Hayes, whoever you want, you choose. We'll get into all of those guys when we come back from this. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back with segment two, and let's go ahead and talk about uh, the guy who is responsible for overtime and me joining this uh, this podcast session five minutes late, Asar Thompson. Uh, you know, I think the thing with him is just does everything that we saw from him over the summer translate, and for the most part, yeah. I mean, he rebounded pretty well. Uh, he had six assists. Uh, like just some of the reads he made, like he, I think he drove and found during underneath for a dunk, and uh, he had that steal from Devin Booker, and then he just. Uh, tosses the touchdown pass to Kay Cunningham for a layup in transition. So uh, you just see him still processing the game pretty quickly. And then obviously that three-pointer he had at the end, he missed his first two. So for that one to go in, the biggest one of the night um, is good to see as well. Uh, you know, along with that, you know, I thought there was some possession where he kind of floated around and was, you know, figuring out where he needed to be and how he could contribute. He had some really nice cuts. I mean, I you know I really didn't think there were there were too many possessions where he he looked lost, which is good. Uh, way more good than bad from him overall. I think just for him getting his feet wet and this being his first real NBA competition, he checked most of the boxes you want to see, and that's that's both pretty well for him going into these next few games coming up. 
Yeah, so we have a comment here. My positives are that Ivy looks fantastic. We'll talk about him a little bit more in depth. And then Asar is quickly adapting. Shot is still awkward, but that's fine for now. Yeah, I agree. I brought up how the spacing was a little bit of an issue with him. We've talked about on previous episodes, Amari. I don't think either of us think the three-point shot is going to be great this year. And I don't think either of us are that worried about it. If he hits some big ones like he did at the end of this game, I mean, that's enough for me. And I think he was one of three or one of two in this game. One thing I love seeing, and this plays in a little bit, another comment we had about Monty Williams' overall offense. I loved all the actions that we saw Asar Thompson in tonight, Omari. We saw him as the pick-and-roll short roller. He made a great catch, and then the baseline hammer to Isaiah Stewart, where Stu fumbled it and then ended up airballing the corner three-point attempt. He operated as a pick-and-roll handler. He got out in transition. He was in the dunker spot. I just love seeing him used in so many ways, some creative ways. I think I think that's what you want to do with a guy like Asar Thompson. And on top of that, he did what we talked about. He took Devin Booker as the matchup and what that allows other guys on the roster to do. Not against the Suns because they have so many Omari, but it allows other guys not to have to take those matchups. And I thought he held up decently well. Aruna says here, felt like Booker was pushing off on Asar every time he had the ball. Am I wrong in that? No, you're not wrong. But I think Booker's getting away with that. So I actually had in my notes... I think that's something Asar is going to have to learn and grow from Amari is he's not going to get charge calls on that. He's going to have to learn to anchor his feet and hold up because they're not calling Devin Booker for push-ups. No, they're not. I mean, you go against a team with three superstars, they're going to get the superstar benefit of the doubt. And, you know, speaking of that, they really did have a quick whistle in that, <laughs> in that first quarter. I think the Pistons had like 18 first half fouls or, or something like that, uh, which, you know, like I know a lot of those were just kind of touchy. But even so, I mean, it was, it was a physical game to start as well. But I, I thought a star, they used some of the variety of actions, as you said. And he's just such a unique player in the sense that He's guard, like, and he's big, like, right? Like, you could, like, there are guys, there are wings who could do a lot of things, but there aren't as many wings that can conceivably be your lead ball handler. And also, you could put them in the dunker spot, and they're going to get some weak side blocks and whatnot. So he's just a really, really unique player. Uh, I'm curious to see just, like, positionally, like, how flexible they are with him. Um, we've talked about him on the pod a few times, but, you know, I really do think he has power for it, ability. Uh, he just has those natural instincts to, you know, like, know when to dive, make himself ready in the dunker spot, stuff like that. Uh, like, he knows how to think like a big, uh, which I think bodes well for him, given that, you know, he jumps out the gym, seven-foot wingspan. He absolutely can play bigger than his actual height of 6'6". So, uh, I want to see how creative the coaching staff is with him and how much responsibility they trust him with early on. He did have four turnovers, but again, I just thought the passing as a whole looked pretty sharp from him. Yeah, so his stat line, Omari, 12 points, 10 rebounds, 6 assists, 3 of 9 from the field, 1 of 3 from the 3-point line, 5 of 8 from the free throw line. So he gets to the free throw line 8 times. Mm -hmm. Did have those four turnovers. There was a little bit of looseness with the ball, a couple decisions, but he's a rookie. You know the speed of the game is even more than what he played in in OTE, and then another step yet from Summer League. So it's an adjustment, and he played in 38 minutes tonight. He did have four fouls. I know that's something we got some pushback on when we talked about him playing major minutes and taking on the matchups that rookies tend to get in foul trouble. We saw that from Marcus Sasser tonight, actually. But Asar in 39 minutes, 38 minutes, he had four fouls. I don't think that's awful with the matchups he had, especially early in the game. And it just was interesting. The next closest Piston only played 23 minutes tonight while Asar played 38. So I, I really... 
I, I know this is an overused term, but I think he's just going to be a Swiss army knife in his rookie season for Monty Williams. We've outlined it all. You've talked about it. I, I'm still very excited. There was nothing that I saw from him tonight that made me any less excited than what we've been talking about. Yeah, definitely no red flags tonight. I mean, really the only one is just his outside shooting because teams are going to help off of him and they may have to just back advice the spacing around him a little bit more. You know, I'm curious to see if you see Isaiah Stewart as a stretch five in certain lineups and uh, just what they do to kind of accommodate uh, Masar's inconsistent shooting. But as a whole, yeah, he just looked really good. I thought it was kind of funny after the game, uh, Monty Williams actually said he was not trying to play Asar for 39 minutes. It just kind of worked out that way. And like like you said, the next player played 23. I mean, it seems like Asar is out there for the entire fourth quarter and OT. And again, like, I, just, I think that just shows just how productive he was. And, uh, you know, they threw a lot of different players out there with him and he still finds a way to make an impact. Uh, you know, Miles, he said, we're going to give the team a day off tomorrow because Asar is probably going to be cooked. I mean, he didn't say cooked, but... Uh, that's where they are. You know, I think it's going to be more games like that where they just forget to bench him because he's just doing so much stuff. And it's like, who do we replace him with? Like, who else could do that? There's nobody else on the roster with his skill set mm-hmm. and some of the things he can do. Doug says, Omari, I couldn't watch the game, but how was the crowd? Did you feel the energy in LCA? So what was the crowd like there for, you know, obviously it was a Lions home game. We know the Lions are in the middle of a really good regular season right here and people are excited. Home game at LCA. Was there a decent crowd? Was there decent energy there at LCA today? Yeah, it was. Yeah, I thought it started off a little bit quiet, but then I think some people kind of rolled in from the Lions game and it picked up a bit from there. And honestly, I didn't look at the crowd that much, but I would say it was at least like three-fourths full, which for the first preseason game, their only home preseason game at that is pretty good. Uh, but even last season, they had pretty good crowds. I mean, they're always energetic. They're always engaged. And, like, you go to some arenas where you could just tell, like, if the team isn't good, the fans don't really care. Uh, like, I've seen some really empty arenas, and Pistons really have not, since I've covered the team, dealt with that. They've always had good crowds, uh, you know, which I attribute to them moving from Auburn Hills to downtown. Because when I was in college, like, I was a senior in college, 2015, 16, and I would just buy tickets to go to Pistons games sometimes because they were like 12, 13 bucks. You drive an hour you know, to and from Michigan State. And, you know, it's funny when people talk about the, the palace and how much better the crowds were there because, like, when it was like the late stage Pistons before they moved downtown and, you know, started a different rebuild and this and that, like, the palace was a ghost town. Like, there was games where they would announce a crowd of like 12,000 maybe six at like at the absolute most, maybe six. Like but people talk about the palace being a better arena because of the, uh, the atmosphere. They're talking about 2004. They're not talking about 2014. I promise you that. Uh, but the Pistons, I think being downtown has just really helped a lot as far as their attendance and the size of the crowds and the energy in the crowds too. So tonight kind of picked up from last season where like, even if the basketball is not always the best, you still get a pretty good crowd and they're pretty engaged and having fun. Okay, I got to ask, because I got this on Twitter. Someone said, tell Amari to stop referring to LCA being downtown. So why would someone say that LCA is not downtown? I mean, it's in Midtown, technically. Uh, So you have like the highway that separates the LCA uh, from Comerica Park and uh, like Ford Field. And like, if you're north of that, like that's technically Midtown. But it's just like, the downtown core. Like, you can walk from the LCA to Ford Field in, like, 10 minutes. Like, you can see all the arenas from each other. And I think when you say downtown, I think everybody knows what you mean. So, yeah, technically speaking, it's midtown. But in my mind, it's a basketball arena. I'm going to say downtown. Downtown starts with the LCA in my mind. It does start with the freeway. So, let's talk about the player who I have said is going to be the most polarizing player this year. That's Isaiah Stewart. So, we have a few comments here. My preseason 
preseason overreaction is Stewart the four looks very rough on both ends. Very interesting there. Uh, kind of a pushback. I thought Stu looked fine on the defensive end, especially with his primary cover being KD. And then Mel says Stu is being killed by Pistons Twitter. Any take. So Amari, what were your thoughts on Isaiah Stewart tonight? Just overall or kind of what we got from the comments there? Yeah, I mean, he missed, I think, his first four three-pointers before he got his fifth one to fall. And he was, like, wide open on that one. So you would hope to see that one fall. So shooting-wise, not his best bite. But, I mean, I thought beyond that, he was fine, honestly. He was five of ten from the floor. Uh, so that means he was, what, four or five inside or four or four inside. Yeah, uh, you know, I thought, like, he had a good post-up in the first half where they kind of found him in a good spot. I thought they found him in good spots in the paint where he had room to finish, which I think was an issue at times last season where he kind of gets lost amongst the trees when he's playing the five sometimes. I thought, uh, you know, he was just in a range where he could, could kind of hit those hooks over defenders and not have to maneuver too much down there. And Monty did say they want to post him up more, so maybe they'll continue with that. Uh, you know, I thought his screening was fine. Uh, I, honestly, I think if he shot two of six from three instead of one of six from three, people would be talking about tonight a lot different. Like, his best night, no, it wasn't his best night, but, I mean, you're defending KD, uh, you know, first preseason game. I thought it was fine. I didn't see anything that makes me think he can't play power for it. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing with it is, Omari, is if he's going to shoot one of six every night, then this isn't going to work. Oh, yeah. right? He's no, not He's not going to be able to do it if that's what he does from three. And I think some of the ones tonight were highlighted because one of the misses was a really nice pass from Asar on the baseline hammer or for short roll. And then he gets wide open ones. And he's going to be the recipient of plays from Cade and JV and Asar. And we want to see those guys get rewarded with assists whenever they make those really nice plays. And so, like... I'm not making excuses for him. He's got to make shots. Again, if he goes one for six, then this isn't going to work. But you're right. I thought everything else was fine. Him going four for four in the paint is a huge plus for Isaiah Stewart because we've been critical of his finishing in the paint. I actually, the biggest thing I would push back on, I thought he was fine defensively. I actually put in my notes, Amari, I thought he held up well defending quote-unquote true perimeter players. I thought he looked fine guarding KD. There was a couple other matchups. He had three blocks. Yeah, he was one-on-one on Bradley Bill early and, you know, like held his own. Have you seen that a lot where he'll switch up to a guard and, you know, the guard decides to not try to blow past him. They just settle for the three and a lot of times it misses. So, yeah, I mean, I agree. Defensively, he was fine. Yeah, that's how I was. He had three blocks, only three rebounds, 23 minutes, didn't get to the free throw line. I thought he was fine. Like, this isn't a, oh my gosh, I'm going to defend Isaiah Stewart because I thought he was incredible. By no means, that's not true. If he would have went four of six from three, I'd be singing his praises. He went one of six from three, and so it wasn't a great night. And so that, it just, it is what it is. And yes, he has to make shots. Again, if he doesn't make shots, if he continues to go one of six from three, then there's going to be issues with him being on the floor for large minutes and all of that. Let's talk about the other big man because I came away, one of my biggest takeaways is how they used Jalen Duran when he was in the game, Omari. Six points, one rebound, one assist, two of four from the field, two of six from the free throw line in 14 minutes, rolled the ankle. But what I was really interested, they seemed to play through him at the top of the key, Omari. They would get him the ball. The very first play, he throws the little pass to Stu posting up. I think he took Nurkic off the bounce and got into the lane and finished on a straight line drive. He's operating DHOs. I actually really liked seeing Jalen Duran operate like that because I think that's how good his skill set is. 
Yeah, it seems like he has a lot of trust from the coaching staff to initiate a lot of those plays. And more often than not, he did make the right read. So we talked about Jen Endurance passing in just the flashes we saw last season. And if they could really tap into that, like if we see him in the DHO actions, we see him making those in- entry passes, finding shooters, that opens up a lot, I think, for the Pistons and really um, even makes his partnership with Isaiah Stewart uh, go a lot smoother. Uh, it wasn't. It really wasn't a great night for Jen Endurance overall offensively. I mean, two of six from the line, only two of four inside and obviously missed the entire second half with the ankles. So it was a little bit unfinished, but I'm curious to see if he continues to be that type of initiator throughout preseason. I mean, if we're talking about him being able to average like two and a half assists next season, I think that's that's huge for his growth. And we get a comment here, Duran rebounding definitely needs to be better than what I saw, but I don't know if the ankle thing was lingering before. Yeah, I've talked a little bit about his defensive rebounding. I think that's where I would like to see him be a little bit better, anchoring the defense, just kind of all of that, just dominating the paint on the defensive end. He's really good offensively. And Amari, I'll tell you this, him, Asar, and Stu are going to cause people fits on the offensive boards when that trio is on the floor together because all of those guys can really attack the offensive boards. Let's talk about, before we go to break here, a guy you brought up and you're right, we need to get to him. We probably should have got to him earlier. And that's Killian Hayes. 13 points, 7 assists, 5 steals, 5 of 8 from the field, 0 of 1 from 3, 3 of 3 from the free throw line, just one turnover in 21 minutes. And quite honestly, Amari, kind of was the spark plug that the Pistons needed at the end of the third quarter and even a little bit into the fourth where I assume Monty just said, hey, we're not going to play him any more minutes. We're good, which probably speaks really well for Killian and where he's at with Monty in the rotation. We've heard a lot of good quotes coming out of training camp. What do you think of Killian Hayes tonight? He missed his first few shots, but then he kind of found a rhythm from mid-range. And I think probably more importantly, we did see him finish out left-handed, kind of scoop layup through contact. Now, I believe he had another one later in the game too, uh, which Killian does not attack the rim enough. Like, I'll just say it. Like, I think he sells for the mid-range a lot. And there are times when he could attack and try to get to the line, and he just doesn't necessarily do that. So I thought that was a good sign for him. But beyond that, like, beyond just the scoring aspect, uh, he came in and, like, he looked like their their best playmaker tonight, just as far as getting guys into the right spots. I mean, five steals defensively. We know he's one of their better defensive guards, if not the best right now. And Monty last week said that Killian had a really good camp. Uh, Monty said he likes big car, big guard to defend, and of course, that's what Killian is. And you know, it it, it begs the question of just what type of role he will be in coming into the season. Uh, you know, the extent that Monty can forgive some of the scoring shortcomings and. It'll just allow him to be that type of defender because uh, everything along with that is that you do get a lot of what you get from Killian and Asar as well. So to me, it may be more matchup dependent, but Monty likes him. You know, Mont- Monty likes him. He said good things about him in camp. And, uh, you know, and Killian was really solid tonight. He was one of their better players, uh, really gave him a lot of energy, uh, you know, in, in the third quarter, second quarter when they tried to even things up a bit. He had a good night. He had a really good night. No, I thought he played well. PD Max says Killian looks like he's carving out a role on the team and Monty is endorsing it. I love it. Yeah, I mean, exactly what Amari just said. When the head coach is saying the things he's saying, and I don't know if those were direct questions about Killian or not, but that's always a good thing. And then a question here, will Killian Hayes get minutes over Monty Morris? Has been shouted out in camp multiple times and had five steals, great playmaking skill. Here's the thing. If he's playing over Monty Morris, one, the Pistons are in an incredible situation, Omari, because that means Killian Hayes is really playing well. He's become the player we have wanted and needed him to be. I 
wouldn't say we're huge supporters of Killian Hayes necessarily on the podcast, but I think we both just said like, hey, we we still want to see what Killian Hayes has. At least I shouldn't speak for you, but that's where I've been is, hey, I still want to see him in a new system, a new coach, nothing against Dwayne Casey, but just to see how he looks. You know, you invested a top 10 pick on this kid. Let's exhaust all of our opportunities to see it. If he's playing on the, over Monte Morris, who we have said, and I will, I think you second, is, is one of the best backup point guards in the league. You really have something and then you better just trade Monte Morris. There's no reason just to leave Monte Morris on the bench. More than likely, you're going to find a way to play all those guys together, though, would be my opinion. Yeah. I, if Killian is playing over Monte, I would think that he's shooting the three well enough that he's just not being helped off of the entire time. Because again, with Asar in the rotation with Duran, uh, you just you have two guys who are not going to hit threes. And Monte likes having that that spacing, right? So I would think Monty Williams, that is. Now we're talking about Monty Williams and Monty Morris, so I have to keep adding their last name in there. <laughs> I realized earlier that that yeah. gets a little bit confusing. Nicely, though, Amari, the context is usually very different between the two of them about what you're saying, but yeah, we gotta, I gotta be better about differentiating. It's like every time I say Monty, I realize after the fact, oh, I should clarify which one I'm talking about so nobody gets confused. So Monty Morris being one of the best shooters on the roster. I mean, like, this is a guy who really, really shoots the ball and just historically low turnover rates. Like, he is just a quintessential veteran backup point guard who's going to manage the game and, you know, settle things down and hit key shots. And that's really important. You know, so I think some of that would be matchup dependent. Uh, if you just need a big guard back there who can handle uh, just some of those defensive assignments, you know, like maybe you just need somebody to give Jamal Murray fits, uh, you know, and it's like, all right, we're going to go with Killian tonight. It could just be that. But the shooting aspect to me still really factors into that just to have enough spacing on the floor. Like, can you play Killian and Asar and Duran? Probably not. Do you need to play Killian and Asar together? I don't know. So I think the next three games I would be looking at just what combinations are out there with Killian Hayes. And again, it's tough because two of their best shooters, what well, three of their best shooters, Monte, and then, you know, Bogey, and then also Livers, you know, are out. So you're missing some of the spacing you would otherwise have. So there's still some stuff we're not going to learn really for like maybe a couple more weeks. But I'm just, I just wonder about the shooting aspect. I just wonder if, if Killian's still shooting 27, 28% from three, if you can get away with playing him with other non-shooters and just going all in on, on defense and playmaking. That's what's going to be tough, right, Omar? You want to prioritize some of these guys, but Asar doesn't space the floor, but you want to have him on the floor. And the bigs don't really space the floor, so but you want to play them. If Isaiah Stewart isn't knocking down shots, then that really complicates things. So then you have to give the veterans more time because they actually do space the floor. So it will be interesting. I, I also wanted to point out Killian grew a little bit of the facial hair. I don't know if you saw that there in person, but he had he had that going on a little bit. Our our youngin is growing up a little bit. So we started to look into some of those rotations and schemes and some of that stuff. We're gonna go to a short break. Amari, when we come back, we can talk about the vets. We can talk about some of the young guys still. We haven't talked about Sasser or Mude, but we can also talk about rotations, the scheme that Monty Williams had offensively and defensively. We can pick from all of that when we come back from this short break. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back with segment three. 
Uh, and we should talk about Marcus Sasser a little bit. So let's get in with him. Uh, I mean, he just looked like a rookie tonight. Like, there's really no way to get around it. You know, he fouled out. He had some, uh, you know, files that I think frustrated Monty a bit. Uh, he noted after the game that, uh, you know, he bit a, a pump fake and fouled. And he said that they were just hammering home uh, pump fake discipline in practice. And, you know, just rookie mistakes. Uh, he missed a couple. I'm looking at a stat line now. I know he didn't shoot the ball that well. He, I mean, he, he was 0 for 2. Like, they were both three-pointers. And he didn't take a lot of shots in 14 minutes. But, uh, you know, again, like, it was just a rookie game from him. I remember it also took him a few games to kind of catch his speed in summer league. And then he came out and he scored, what, 40? Uh, you know, like, in, in that last game. So maybe he'll go off, you know, when they close preseason up uh, against either Dallas or OKC. I can't forget which one of those, I can't remember which one of those games is the last one, but, uh, you know, maybe he just needs to, to get settled because he's another guy, um, you know, he comes in with really good defensive ability, you know, based on what we saw in college and that's the reason why they they drafted him and another guy that can shoot the ball. So, again, he's got a lot of guys he has to kind of fight through to get minutes this season and he may not get that many, but, Preseason is his opportunity to show, like, hey, like this is why you drafted me. You're other guy you could build around, and like I could handle the three, the three and D stuff and play alongside Killian and Ivy and Cade and the rest of those guys. I think his performance, which I do think he looked a little overwhelmed tonight, Omari, which is understandable. I think it makes what Asar did that much more impressive mm-hmm. because now Asar is 20 years old. You know, he's a little bit older, but Sasser is, you know, a veteran, quote unquote, NBA draft prospect. You know, he's four years at Houston in a great program that really develops players. And kind of the pitch for him was he was NBA ready. Tonight's performance doesn't mean he's not NBA ready. Every rookie needs adjustment. It's just really impressive that Asar has been able to adjust and take what he does and apply it so quickly where, yes, Asser looked a little overwhelmed tonight. He fouled out. We talked about rookies and foul trouble. Sasser experienced that. He's also a guy that's really going to depend on making shots kind of being a huge part of his contribution. So like we said with Stu, if he makes a three or two, then we probably talk entirely differently about Sasser's game than we are right now. Doug asks, did Sasser look better than the two-way players? Amude from the box score looked solid. And then PD Max says, Amude looked really good. I kind of want to talk about him because I did think he looked really good tonight, Amari. I think Stanley Amude played really nice tonight. 12 points, four rebounds, three assists. I thought he had a couple impactful defensive possessions, had a nice dump off even to Marvin Bagley III in overtime. And then he hit some big shots late in the fourth quarter that contributed to the Pistons eventually getting to overtime. I thought he did really well for himself tonight. He was kind of of those quote-unquote other guys toward the end of the roster. He's the one that stood out the most to me. Yeah, it's interesting because we've seen him put good games together. He's been uh, in, in his organization for a while. And then every now and then we see him come out and he hits threes and he makes good defensive plays. He makes good reads with the ball. Uh, those two threes he hit at the end of the game, of course, were, you know, huge. Uh, you know, that, that set up Asar to eventually hit that game tying three. Uh, so if we're talking about a guy who really maximized his minutes outside of Marvin Bagley, I would say Stanley Ubude is probably <laughs> one, like toward the top of that list, right? Like either number two or number three. You know, again, he's on the Exhibit 10 deal. Uh, you know, we're probably seeing him with the Cruz this season, but he's always been an interesting player. And, uh, you know, just for him to not even really get minutes tonight to like toward the end and he just immediately comes in and hits those types of shots. I mean, that, that looks really good for him. And I just want to say, I looked this up, 35% career three-point shooter in college. And then last year in the G League with the Cruz Amari, 39% on 6.4 attempts in the G League. So, uh, you know, this is a longer-term prospect. A lot of time these guys don't pan out, but he is a guy that's interesting. I thought he played well tonight. 
I want to talk real quick. We don't spend a lot of time because I know nobody probably wants to. I thought Joe Harris looked good tonight. I thought Joe Harris did what you want to see Joe Harris do. He had to play the four. Uh, somebody in the comments mentioned it earlier. Yeah, like Boyan's out, Livers is out. All those guys are out that would be playing those minutes in that spot. So he had to play the four. I actually thought his defensive rotations were good. Obviously, he's not huge, so he's not a huge rim deterrent, but he played with verticality. He made rotations. He had one really good isolation possession. I believe it was against Bradley Beal. And then he hit the transition three going the other way, hit a baseline out of bounds jumper off screens as the shot clock was winding down or down at two seconds. I just watched Joe Harris tonight and I thought to myself, he can play 10 to 15 minutes a night as the 11th or 12th man for this team and be impactful. And I think that's all they really need from him. Monty Williams was asked last week uh, just about Joe Harris of media day, just saying, you know, when I play 15-0, like I'm going to do whatever the team needs from me. Uh, and Monty, when asked that, said, like, you know, like we brought Joe Harris to help us on the floor. So it does pose a lot of lined up questions, you know, given that this team does have a lot of veteran shooters and, you know, Joe Harris might be the best of them. And if he's defending and doing everything you need, how do you not play him? I just, I just can't see how you have a guy who's like third in all time NBA three point percentage and, you know, he can defend and make good reads with the ball. And like, how do you not play him? You know, like, it's like, it's just tough. Like, I think Monty's going to have a tough time really narrowing this rotation down to 10 players. I mean, if Killian's doing what he's doing, Joe Harris, like, there's guys who are making the case, like, Bagley, hey, you know, don't forget about me, right? Like, I could actually play and, you know, be a contributor for this team. So I like what we saw from Joe Harris tonight. You know, like, nothing too fancy, but just for him to come in and do exactly what you wanted was good to see. Yeah, PD Max says Joe Harris is definitely capable of not looking horrible on defense and he's a flamethrower on offense. And I think what's interesting is, and this isn't an original thought, is you want Jaden Ivey, Killian, Cade, Asar making the right plays and getting rewarded with guys making shots. Again, I think that's why everybody gets so frustrated with Isaiah Stewart when he misses is it usually comes off one of those guys making a nice play to get him an open look. Joe Harris does that. Jaden Ivey made a very unselfish play in transition, kicking it ahead to Joe Harris and Harris knocks it down. Well, now Jaden Ivey's going to want to do that the next time because it worked out in a positive way. And so I think there is a lot of value to what he can do. Let's talk some of the rotation and scheme. One thing I did think we saw was some interesting chemistry between Cade Cunningham and Jalen Duran. Now, again, we didn't get as many minutes as we would have liked. Something we talked about last episode where those guys just haven't played very many minutes together, but we saw some pick and roll chemistry between those two. I thought that looked good and that's a really positive thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, Cade had a pretty big teaser uh, during media day, but he was asked just about like, how do you plan on clicking with during the season? And uh, I forget exactly what he said. Like, it basically amounted to like, stay tuned, right? Like, you know, just hitting like, you know, we have great chemistry and, you know, of course, they both were standouts in Vegas with the select team. Uh, just, you hear reports, just their pick and roll chemistry and just how good they look together. Uh, I even asked, like, Kate after the game, just having, like, three really good lob threats when he came into this team with zero and Duran's the best of those three. So they did have some nice moments tonight. Like, Monty is already on record saying, uh, like, that pick and roll is going to be a big part of our team this season and didn't see as much of it tonight, you know, probably as you want to see just because during missed the second half. And I guess we'll see if that kind of goes into this game in Montreal later on this week. But those two guys clicking, like that's what you want to see. I mean, you know, the Pistons of course invested really high draft capital into them. And we've seen what K could do with really athletic bigs. Like we've seen just during what his gravity could do last season that could open up 
lanes, like, you know, open shots for, for just everybody else on the, the team, right? Like, if those two get going, that really does help things click into place for everybody else. So uh, it will be cool to see more of that during preseason and just see what Cade was teasing when he said that on media day. One other trio that we saw was just three guards. We saw Hayes, Sasser, Ivy together. I think two different times we saw some other three-guard lineups. And so maybe that plays into a Killian Hayes, Jaden Ivy, Monte Morris backup unit if if that is really where Monty Williams wants to go with Jay Nivey off the bench, I, I don't know how it works. I think you'd have to have a four-man that can really rebound and, and play big in that situation. But again, he went to it. He was short, as we've mentioned multiple times, Boyan and Livers, kind of those wing forwards in that situation. You alluded to it a second ago, though. He has a lot of flexibility. I thought one thing that stood out to me, eight seconds to go in the first half, and he subbed Joe Harris out and Asar Thompson in for defense. I think what this roster has, Omari, is it has a lot of flexibility for Monty Williams to do that. Oh, we need a three with three seconds to go. Okay, we can put these guys in. We need a defensive stop and everybody to be switchable. We can do that. We did the lineup episode, what, three weeks ago now? And we had a lot of fun because there were so many options. I just like seeing kind of that strategy from a coach, even in a preseason game. Hey, we need to stop right here before half. Okay, I'm gonna get Joe Harris out, who isn't the best defender. I'm gonna put our guy, Asar Thompson in. And I'm really interested to watch and who he uses in what situations. That's got to feel good as a head coach to look at your roster and you have players that can do specific jobs, right? So you may have a night where Joe Harris plays 20 minutes, next game he plays zero. You have a night where Killian plays 15, 25, next game five. Like you can just mix the match based on those different matchups. And again, I just, I don't know how he cuts this rotation down to 10, you know, just because you have so many guys who are viable NBA players, you know, who, who can go out and make various types of, of impacts. So, I'm curious to see, especially during preseason, like when the games don't matter, like if Monty kind of takes swings with those lineup combinations and just see which guys click. I kind of asked him before the game, uh, you know, like, do you use this time to like mix and match, experiment a little bit? And he said that experiment, like they have a good idea of where they want to go with the starting lineup. But again, just some of the performances we saw tonight, like I don't know if you expect Bagley to score 25 points and like 15 minutes or however long he was out there and just completely changed the tone of the game on a night where a lot of your key guys just can't quite get it going. So it just adds a lot of wrinkles, right? Uh, you know, like I don't know if anybody would have predicted Killian Bagley, Umu Day, you know, being like three of their top players tonight, but that's what happened. So it's a good problem to have for Monty. It's got to be fun to have so many players you can mix and match and you know, just got to figure out how to maximize their skill sets. But yeah, I'm just not sure you cut this roster down to, to, to 10. I think these next three preseason games will say a lot just as far as where guys are and if they can maintain what they showed tonight or improve compared to tonight. And remember, they have an open roster spot yet. That who knows who's going to shake loose from another team and they may add to as the 15th man. And I just want to mention too, because you brought up like using the preseason for things. We saw Asar Thompson on a sideline out of bounds and it just struck me. This is why they need to play preseason games. Asar bounce passes one in the front court and it, hit in the front court and then went into the back court and that's an over and back. And so it just, it's, it's good for all of these guys to get some preseason games just so you're not doing those mistakes in regular games. Just real quick, here's some scheme stuff, Amari. First, defensively, I'm going to drop my notes and then I'll see what you thought. Obviously, it wasn't great. Looked like they were switching one for through four and then playing drop with the bigs. They weren't switching everything off the ball. Stu and Duran looked like they would switch with each other a little bit. I didn't think the Pistons perimeter players 
players navigated ball screens well and were putting the bigs in tough spots. The last thing though, Amari, and this is what I was interested to see what you thought, it looks like they were really asking their guards to get up and defend full court. We saw Asar doing it. He drew an illegal screen, I believe on Eubanks. We saw Marcus Sasser doing it. We saw Jaden Ivey doing it. I like that. It puts the bigs in a tough spot where they really have to protect the rim, but it looks like they're going to employ this aggressive defense with their perimeter players. And Monty actually talked about that last week. Uh, just the topic was Asar's defense and if he's a guy that allows you to be more flexible in your defensive schemes just because Asar uh, presumably will be able to handle so many different defensive roles, whether it's guarding the perimeter or, you know, being out to four, uh, you know, having weak side responsibilities and whatnot. And uh, Monty Williams did allude to wanting to have guards guard 94 feet, right? You know, have them frustrate people coming up the court, you know, burn time off of the clock. Uh, you know, he mentioned Asar doing that. He mentioned Sasser doing that. He mentioned Killian doing that. He mentioned Cade wanting to do that. I don't know if you want Cade to do that because, you know, he has other things that he needs to prioritize probably. But again, like, I think, you know, Monty's talked a lot about the guards in camp and what they need to do defensively. I think just watching film from last season, he wasn't happy with just how discombobulated, I guess is the word I would go with. Uh, you know, just navigating ball screens and limiting dri dribble penetration. Uh, we talked to him about Jalen Duran, and he's like, you know, the guards have to make it easier on the bigs too, right? So we saw some of that tonight. And again, with that starting lineup, I think to have a guy and a star who could just be your defensive guy, like you could give him those responsibilities to free it up for everybody else, that probably goes to some of the thinking for starting him. So I'm curious when Bowie goes back, like, uh, you know, like, where do you go from there? Like, is there a path for Jaden Ivey to get back into this lineup? Like, kind of where do you go with that? But uh, again, yeah, uh, I think that's something we'll see this season. Uh, I, I think when he had Javon Carter, like Javon Carter with, uh, you know, guard 94 feet, and we know he's one of the better defensive guards. So there's that. Yeah, switching one through four and then dropping with the big. Like, I think for this roster, it makes sense. Like, you like you look at, like, you have KD, 6'6", big wingspan, to start 6'6", big wingspan. Uh, you know, Burks, I mean, like, obviously he's out there probably for shooting, but he's, you know, but he's strong. And then we know Duran can switch. I'm, I'm sorry, we know Isaiah can switch as well. So we'll see. You know, like, I think on paper, they have the tools to be a good switch team. It's just the execution, and the execution is what lacked last season. So you expect there to be some growth in that end. But I thought the scheme made sense. They just, they just didn't execute tonight. But I still think there's upside there, and I do think that's something that could work for them. Well, and it's so vital for communication whenever yeah. you're playing that scheme because a few years ago, whenever the fan base was super frustrated that they were switching everything, well, that's easier. Like, you just switch everything, and then the community... Like, you still have to communicate it, but you don't have to communicate whether it's a switch or an over or under or a drop or an ice. You just have to communicate the switch. Well, now Duran has to let people know, hey, my man's the one screening. So now you got to get over the screen because it's not a SARS man where you can just switch it. And then if they switch, there's not as much rotation where if it is Duran and they're icing, now there's more rotation from the weak side. So it is a little more intricate and the communication has to be huge, which again plays into why Monty Williams' comment on Marvin Bagley's communication really stood out to me. Last thing here. Oh, go ahead, Omari, and then we'll get to the last thing. Oh, no, I was just going to say, uh, I like, Monty said straight up pretty much, like, we're going to reward guys who can communicate on defense and play with that level of compete level. You know, so Bagley, in a sense, was like the MVP tonight, but Monty doesn't miss his words, right? Like, he's very clear, like, you're going to have to be able to do that stuff to see the court when the games matter. And it's just, like, outside of that, it feels like this team could probably use a veteran big man who could kind of lead the way, uh, like, in, in practice, you know, just 
like kind of having that veteran savvy and showing guys how it's done because they do have a really young front court unit. So I do kind of w- wonder about that. But again, I mean, that's going to be a lot on Duran or whatever big is in there to be able to communicate and also make sure they're in position, right? So it's going to be some, some growing fans on that end while the bigs figure that out. Last thing in here it is about the offensive scheme. What did you think of Monty's offense tonight? Seems like he likes to start with a big handling the ball at the top to start the possession. We touched on that a little bit earlier, Amari. I love it, at least with Jalen Duran. I think that this is going to put him in a place to really be successful. I talked about some of the uh, SAR stuff he did. I love the actions he used him in. And then just from stats, here, Amari. In the first half, 15 of 21 field goals made were assisted, 33 of 47 for the game. They got to the free throw line 34 times and then 11 to 35 from the three-point line. Again, just six turnovers at halftime, ended up with 16. I thought overall the offense was okay. You want to see him shoot the ball a little bit better. Cade was 5 of 15. Again, if Cade's 5 of 15 and Stu goes 1 of 6 from 3, this team's probably going to struggle offensively on those nights because they are going to play Stu, whether it's as a starter or off the bench. I don't really care which one it is. He's going to have to be able to space the floor and Cade's going to have to be better than 5 of 15. I'm banking on both of those guys being better than that. Yeah, I mean, they just didn't shoot the ball well tonight and that's going to happen, especially first preseason game. I thought the ball movement was pretty good. You know, I thought they there was a lot of plays where they made the extra pass. They did miss guys on some possessions, but but you have two connective guys in the lineup with Cade and a star. And then of course we talked about Duran. It kind of lends us up to that. Uh, you know, I thought it was interesting just to see how many players did initiate and did like register assist. I think they had Asar had what six, Killian had seven, I think Cade had five or six. So you had multiple guys. And then Ivy had four, you know, so you had multiple players. Cade had six actually. So you had three players with at least six assists and another guard with four. So it just shows how uh, it, it was like a by-committee approach, I thought, just to kind of get things going. You know, I'm curious to see if that goes into the season and maybe if it's a little bit more ball-dominant with Cade and which way they lean that way. But ball movement was good. The shooting wasn't good tonight. But overall, I thought offensively, they did a lot more well than they did on defense for sure. Yeah, the 12 guys registered an assist tonight. Amari yeah. Amude, him, you know, had three. So a guy that we've talked about quite a bit now. Yeah, I think, you know, the 0.5 offense is going to be talked about. It's going to be the most overused term from myself included, but all of Pistons Twitter, content creators, everything. But we saw some of those possessions night where the ball really popped. And the broadcast was talking about it. Get out and transition and go. And some of that is from the defense as well. We saw some defensive disruption and playmaking from Asar. Stu had three blocks. So it it all will mesh together. I think you have a bunch of guys who don't let the ball stick. I was kind of going through my head of guys who really let the ball stick. Wiseman can at times, usually just whenever he's posting up. Sometimes Bagley. Sometimes Bagley. I didn't notice Jaden doing it tonight. Mm -hmm. I felt like he kept the ball moving pretty well. And then all the guys you mentioned, that's kind of what they're known for. So I I can see the flow of things being good with this offense, Amari. Now it's going to come down to, do they make shots? Do they have the guys on the floor to make shots? And if those guys don't make shots, Amari, do they put in the veterans like Joe Harris and those guys? And do they play more minutes? Because that's what those guys are good at. So I think it it was a rough start. We got an exciting ending. We saw a lot of really good things. We saw some surprises from guys. We got a few days off here and then you're headed to Canada, right? Yeah, in a few days. Yep, to check out this game on Thursday. So it's good to have Pistons basketball back. And we're talking about real actual basketball today on the podcast, as opposed to throwing out lineups and all of this other stuff that got us throughout the offseason. Yeah, hopefully no more overtime. I didn't like that. But, you know, beyond that, 
a typical preseason game, like a lot of weirdness, a lot of guys doing stuff that you probably won't see them do as much during the season just because of how the rotation will shake out. Uh, not too often you see a team like come back from 26 with like two minutes stuff in, in the third and, you know, you have exhibit 10 and 2A guys needing the charge. So again, like very, very weird game, <laughs> I thought, but a lot to take away from it and a lot to, for the team to really build off of notes-wise just to, take this game into Montreal and see how you can improve from there. So, you know, there are some good, there are some bad, but I think the main thing beyond the defense is that they did fight their way back into the game. And, you know, if it was a 30-point blowout, then I think the boot would be a lot different. So, at the very least, you did see that compete level. Absolutely. All right, guys. Thank you so much for everybody that joined us live. We we love when you guys are in here. The comments were popping tonight. That gives us even more energy and the engagement. If you're listening on podcasts, thank you so much. Leave a rating, leave a review, Apple, Spotify. And if you want to tune in live, we kind of do mix and match when we go live. But just subscribe to the Detroit Free Press YouTube channel and you can find us or follow us on Twitter. We're always tweeting it out. Appreciate the support from everybody. Thank you guys so much. Amari, take it away, my guy. Yeah. Thank you everybody for tuning in. And of course, big thanks to our audio producer, Robin Chan, our executive producer, Angela Delgado, and our sports editor, Kirkland Crawford. Also, shout out to Wes Davenport, who we will have back next week. Hopefully, fingers crossed. And we will talk to you all next week. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.